You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Thank you all for tuning in for the Saturday edition of the show. Not that it's really any different than any other edition, but um, try to try to make it sound spicy, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm actually going to start off the show um, with... The GoFundMe, as opposed to waiting until the break, because I am just super excited about this. Um, it's been such a long time time coming for Drew to get his seizure service dog, and um, to see it this close to completion is extremely exciting. Special thank you to Dennis and Andrew. Dennis donated a hundred dollars. Andrew donated fifty dollars. That puts us at seventy-two hundred dollars. We are two hundred and forty dollars away. We have raised $7,200. That's crazy, crazy, crazy. It's a lot of money, and it just feels good uh, to help to help people, you know. This is one of those things that, you know, the Internet can be one of the worst possible things in the world, but it can also really, really, really be awesome. And this is one of those awesome things. It's one of the good things about modern day, to be able to reach people from around the world and to be able to raise this amount of money to help a person in need is um, pretty awesome. So, you know, again, we're, we're at $7,200. We need 240 bucks, And I know many people have already given. In fact, I know Dennis has already given many times, I believe. I've seen him on here before. I think I've seen Anthony donate before. A lot of people are multiple-time donors. Um, and I know Saturdays are a slow day. Not many, Not as many listeners, but I know there's a lot more than 240 people listening. So, again, if you just got a buck... It is my pinned tweet. Head over there, send a dollar, two dollars, whatever you can do, and let's let's get this closed out this weekend. That would be that would be awesome. Anyways, um, why don't we rip through some of the NFL news? Get that done first. Again, I do NFL news because the Packers play in the NFL. I don't do uh, baseball or basketball news because that doesn't pertain to the Packers. But um, the other teams that we have to compete against, that that does kind of pertain to us. First of all, um, it was announced that there will be no supplemental draft this year. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reports the league will not hold a supplemental draft in 2022. The NFL gets to choose whether or not to hold the supplemental draft every year. The mar- uh, this marks the third straight year they have axed it. Players eligible for this year's supplemental draft will be forced to wait until 2023 NFL draft at the earliest to join the league. From 2015 to 2019, the most recent supplemental drafts, only four players were selected. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it just has to do with the quality of the players. They're just like, nah, this, this isn't worth it. I don't know. In other news, Alvin Kamara is looking at possibly missing out on the first six weeks of the season. I'm not entirely sure um, how absolute that is, but he's facing uh, felony battery charges, so that's not great. Packers do see the Saints in the preseason as well as have that um, joint practice together, but we don't see each other in the regular season. Also, not really entirely sure that there's... I don't know. I'm not sure if they're contenders or not. It's hard to know what's going on with the Saints. It all kind of comes down to the quarterback. I'm of the belief that they don't have one. I think as long as Jameis Winston is the quarterback, they're not going anywhere, but I think other people look at it and say he's good enough with the talent around him. They're going to be a contender? I don't know. I I don't think they are, but either way, this isn't going to help their chances. In other Saints news, um, apparently, (laughs) Marcus Davenport is going to, or potentially, start training camp on the pup list after having his pinky finger amputated. This little commentary here is just hilarious. Like, we're just glossing over the fact that his finger was amputated. 
quote, remaining on the pup list into the season would mean there were probably complications, Sorrell added. I'm sorry, complications? As in it didn't grow back? What are we talking about? Of course there's complications. He lost a finger. The assumption here is that Davenport won't miss regular season snaps due to the injury, so don't get too far ahead of yourself if he is on pup when training camp opens. Davenport's injury history continues to be a major factor in his career trajectory. Injury history? He, he they, they cut, they cut his finger off. I mean, it's just, just part of it. But still, I don't think you can call that history. I feel like I'm going crazy. Here, here's an article from msn.com. Every sentence in this is just has me thinking like, do I not understand something? I'm, I'm taking crazy pills. The very first sentence. New Orleans Saints defensive end Marcus Davenport looks to have finally put to rest his finger problem after having a portion of his, uh, of one amputated. Fixed it. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? He put it behind him. He put it to rest. Problem solved. Cut it off. Gee, why didn't I think of that? Saints defensive end Marcus Davenport is struggling with his left pinky finger, but after having a portion of it amputated this offseason, hopefully it's all up from here. <laughs> okay. The issue has been around for a long time for Davenport, according to ESPN report on the situation it began in 2016 when he tore ligaments in it. He had to amputate because he broke a plate and got an infection from it, which can be extremely serious if not taken care of immediately. These kinds of things can go from being something small to life-threatening, so thankfully it got a handle before it got any worse. Again, that that right there makes sense. But the way everybody else is phrasing this, including this exact article and just a couple sentences before this paragraph, really don't paint a very good picture. Oh, he was having pains and we solved it. No, you were trying to fix his problems. It got infected. It was life-threatening, and so we were forced to amputate his finger. That isn't fixing it. That isn't past history. This isn't good news. It's just necessary awful. Anyways, as weird as this whole situation is, um, now you know. Goes on to say Davenport could have likely been back for training camp after having shoulder surgery in January, but with the amputation, it seems he'll be out a bit longer. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, take your time, dude, all right? Jeez, that's crazy. Anyways, hoping he's doing all right. And then just a, a couple notes on some guys that are not necessarily doing super great. And again, I like to do this for the sake of perspective. I know I bang that drum too much, but I, I'm just never going to stop, so it is what it is. It's just a reminder of how things go. You know, everybody has their certain guys that they like. They're convinced of certain things, and um, you know, maybe you like the guys, maybe you didn't. But it's worth pointing out either way. If there's one person listening that was like, oh man, I really like that guy and I was wrong and I shouldn't have been banging the drum saying the package, da, 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 it's worth it to me. ESPN's Michael DeRico writes that Jaguars edge rusher Clavon Chason could be on the roster bubble in Jacksonville. With just two sacks and over 400 NFL pass rush reps, the woeful season PFF grades of 47 and 49.6 this does not come as a major surprise. If Chason had done anything worthwhile, Trayvon Walker likely would not have become a Jaguar. As it is, Walker will likely start ahead of Chason, and the former 20th overall pick might become a depth pass rusher or reclamation project. And again, it's also perspective on, you know, so many Packer fans like to look at our team and the, you know, handful of failures or bad picks or whatever and say, see, Brian Gutekunst is not very good at his job. Part of being good at your job isn't just picking the right guys, but it's also not picking the right guys. Some teams like certain people, some people don't. I mean, it it is kind of funny to realize how different teams view players. The, the Patriots pick this year was massive in my understanding of that. I've always kind of known that, but you know, the, the, when you had uh, the Rams head coach kind of laughing out loud at um, at that pick, I mean, you've got guys that some teams put third-round grades on that are going in the first round. And so there are going to be times when you have teams like Jaguars taking Clavon Chase on and teams like the Packers looking at it going, good, take him off the board. I No way in, in the world I would have taken him. And I'm not saying that maybe the Packers loved him. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying part of the job of being a GM isn't just finding the right guys, but also being able to look at guys that are considered first-round prospects and everything else and disregard that because you realize 
I don't like what they bring. I don't think they're going to pan out. And so, um, again, it's not just the hits. It's also the dodged bullets. And there's a lot of dodged bullets out there. Speaking of, one of the things in the draft cycle that I was vocal about, although it didn't really necessarily pertain to the Packers, but um, when I had put together my list, my big board and whatnot, um, you know, and, and I do it in a pretty unique way. So there's going to be some weird things on there. But one of the things that I saw was that Malik Willis did not deserve the hype he was getting. He was considered for a long time to be, you know, a top 10 pick, easily a first round pick. And and I remember I did a mock draft where I had him taken, I think, in the second round, late second round, and people kind of got upset with me. I had also put on Twitter that I don't understand how Malik Willis is is considered as good as he is or whatever. And it, there was a lot of agreement, but there was also just a lot of, um, you know, he has the arm strength of Josh Allen and the athleticism of Lamar Jackson, etc. He's, he's a freak. He's going to be whatever. But anyways, point is the media told us that Malik is a lock first round pick. He ended up falling. And of course, there's a lot of uproar about how stupid the NFL is. How could they allow him to fall as far as he did? Blah, blah, blah. ESPN's Teron Davenport projects rookie Malik Willis will open the season as Titans' number three quarterback. This speaks volumes to how bad Willis looked at OTAs. Willis was never close to pushing Ryan Tannehill for a starting role and is now behind Logan Woodside, a practice squad quarterback that was promoted to Tannehill's backup last year. The Titans are taking a long-term approach to developing Willis, making it unlikely he sees the field before 2023. Now, like everybody else, it's entirely possible that the guy ends up becoming a star and all that stuff, but um, it's just another example that just because the media says that this is a first-round talent doesn't mean that they're right. Just because the media keeps telling us that we keep taking second-round prospects in the first round doesn't mean that they're right. Quay Walker was a stupid, and most Packer fans are okay with it, but Quay Walker was a stupid pick because you had... Dean there, and you had all the other linebackers there, and you could have taken all them, and you ended up taking this guy, blah, 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 blah. Another thought I just had on that same vein that's worth mentioning is, you know, had, let's just say the top two linebackers, N'Kobe Dean and, I forget the other guy's name already, let's say they had been drafted before the Packers pick, and then the Packers had taken Quay Walker. What would the general narrative be? They took the third best available, and obviously, see, what would happen is, the Packers would have said, we, we like Dean, he's our favorite linebacker, right? Just like when our pass rush coach said that his favorite pass rusher in that entire draft was Rashawn Gary, and we all kind of went, okay, dude, chill out. We would have heard that, you know, Quay was, uh, you know, our favorite linebacker, or we really liked him in the process, or what, what, however they would have phrased it. And we all probably would have rolled our eyes and been like, nah, okay, dude, you're telling me if N'Kobe Dean was available, you wouldn't have taken him? Okay, dude. And we would have assumed we got the third best linebacker or at least from the Packers' perspective, the third-best linebacker, maybe the second, I don't know. And we would have not had a full understanding of just how much the Packers really like the guy. And so I think we need to remember that as we look at other prospects, right? When we took Devontae Wyatt, we can make assumptions based on how much they liked him based on where they took him. They took him after they took Quay Walker. They took him after these defensive tackles. They probably would have taken those players if they were available. For all we know, they had really, really high grades on both of these guys. You know, Christian Watson, you know, we've already heard a little bit about there being other wide receivers that they liked, and because they were gone, they decided to go in a different direction. So we can't fully play that game here. But I think it is fair to assume that outside of that tier, that top tier that they had for the wide receivers, the very best player on the next tier that they had was Christian Watson. And then you can go down the line with Romeo Dobbs, right? Right. Well, we drafted him here, so this is how much we liked him. Meh. For example, we know, and I, I know this is a big eye roll from a lot of people, but we know, for example, that um, Amari Rogers was a second-round prospect for the Packers. We know that because they were tempted to take him in the second round, but they decided not even necessarily that they liked Josh Myers more, but that it was less likely Josh Myers would be available later, is, is the I believe, the way that they phrase that. So they they probably had those two on the same tier and had to pick which one was more likely to fall. And so they said, we got to take Josh because he's less likely to fall. So just something else to keep in mind, because um, I know for me anyways, I, I get caught up in this is where they were drafted. So this is what they're worth. This is who they were drafted after. Therefore, the, those, those other guys are going to be better. I mean, the draft is a crapshoot as it is, but you add in all these other factors. And also, let's not forget, 
how crazy this year is with with um, you know COVID and all that, and having less understanding of this guy, that guy, whatever, should make for a little bit more interesting uh, competitions, let's say. But anyways, Malik is bad. Finally, a follow-up on Mr. Robert Quinn of the Chicago Bears. This is via The Athletic's Kevin Fishbane. He writes, it's, quote, tough to be confident, unquote, that edge Robert Quinn will be on Chicago's roster at the start of the season. Fishbane's initial 53-man roster projection leaves Quinn off with the idea that he could be moved after skipping mandatory minicamp. We haven't seen much media speculation on teams that are actually interested in Quinn, but coming off an 18-and-a-half sack season, he should command a decent return even at 32. Quinn, who initially said he was happy not to be moved in March, could be a major training camp storyline. So again, this this really isn't about could he become a Packer or any of that kind of stuff. This is really just about is it possible the Bears even get worse? And look, this is just speculation. This isn't really new news. This is just another person adding their thoughts. But um, when you've got a Chicago Bears writer for The Athletic, I mean, this is not heavy.com or some clickbait nonsense. This is The Athletic. It's it's very quality writing by quality writers. I mean, they, it's one of those things you have to pay for. So the whole point is it's not clickbait because we don't get money from how many clicks we generate. We get money from people who want quality writing, right? That's that's the idea anyways. And from his perspective, it does make some sense that a uh, guy like Quinn doesn't really want to be a part of a rebuild. He's 32 years old, doesn't have much time left. I mean, and that's the other thing. You, you had a career year at 32. This, this is a serious opportunity First of all, to make money, but also to be, you know, if you want to be a part of a championship team, this is a time to get that, and you're not getting either with the Bears. Yeah, I mean, this this team is just so bad right now. It just, if you remove Quinn from this situation, he is the highest graded player on this entire defense right now, uh, based on last year's grades, at a 69.9. I mean, just the fact that they have... You know, two second-round picks just automatically plugged in like that. that those guys are locks. Is is not necessarily great news. I mean, they drafted a safety in a corner. If we drafted a safety in a corner, they'd be on the bench all year. They only have three players on this defense uh, outside of Quinn that had grades in the 60s. I mean, he. You know, Bears fans will never acknowledge this, but he's the only potential bright spot. And I say potential because he has good years and bad years. And 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 his last year of 18 and a half sacks was beyond flukish i mean that will not happen again so even if he does stay i'm not that scared of him but again if he moves on this team is just the worst well we got jackson and we got roquan dude roquan has the lowest grade on this entire defense 47.1 nobody else has a lower grade there's three guys that don't have grades but two rookies and then nick morrow who's probably worse at linebacker but he didn't play enough to get a grade so jackson adams the other linebacker uh, Jones, Blackson, Muhammad all have higher grades than Roquan. You know, there's a lot of talk, especially by me, about Justin Fields and the lack of wide receivers for this team. They don't have a defense. They just don't have a defense, period. There's also talk about the offensive line. I mean, the, the offense in general is seen as the problem, and I think people overlook the defense because it's the Bears. Obviously, they're going to have a good defense, and the people that we do know, you know, Roquan and, and whatnot, we, we assume are just elite because that's what everybody tells us. And they got Eddie Jackson, who's an elite safety because that's what everybody tells us. And for some reason, we just disregard the fact that guys like Akeem Hicks are gone. Guys like, oh, I don't know, Khalil Mack are gone. Well, Khalil and Akeem were kind of on the downswing. They weren't that good anymore. And everybody that left wasn't that. Dude, they were they were by far the best players on this defense. The defense that was nowhere near as good as it was in 2018 to begin with. It was already falling apart. Lost all of its best players. I don't know that the defense isn't worse than the offense, if I'm being just completely honest with you. I mean, Justin Fields ended with a 64 overall grade. That's that's about as high as anybody on this defense. Darnell Mooney has a 74.7. The only bright spot on this entire team is Darnell Mooney. That's it. He's the only person on this team, depending on who ends up starting. And obviously guys can improve or whatever, but that's it. 74.7, highest grade on the entire team. But you at least have some potential in fields. You have potential in Pringle. You got Montgomery's a decent back. He had a 69.8 overall grade, but you know we can call it a 70 if it makes you feel better. Cody Whitehair has his moments at guard. There's just nothing. And if Robert Quinn leaves, there's nothing beyond nothing. It It is nothingness. 
And the really, you know, we're far away from needing to scout the Bears, but the other thing that's just incredible to me is the run defense ability of this group. Um, Robert Quinn and Travis Gibson both have good pass rushing grades. Here are the edge rushers run defense grades, 63, 59, 52, 50, uh, 60. The defensive tackle run defense grades, 54, 55, 60, 47, 51, 53. That's it. There's there's nary a 60 in here. They're all below average. The only guys that have 60 have like exactly 60 because they didn't play. al Kadin Muhammad is the best run defender on this entire defensive line at a 63.4 overall grade. And linebackers? You want to know why Roquan's so bad? Because he has a 30 run defense grade. That might be why. So the bottom line is if, if, if Quinn stays, I'm still not scared of the Bears. They don't have a team, they don't have an offense, they don't have a defense, and it's kind of hard to win without that. But if they lose Quinn, it's just, I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of, it almost makes me feel bad that I want it, you know? It's like a, a, a team that has just been in the dirt, just getting stomped on, and it's like one more guy comes along and is like, hey, can I kick him? Like, can I just plant one real good one right in his face? And it's like, you know, he's down, man, and he's been kicked a lot. But yeah, you can. Anyways, this is a good enough spot to take a break. So why don't we do that? We'll take a break right here. We'll come back and dig in a little bit to some more Packers stuff. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Can you at least tell me who you feel gives you the most trouble? Myself. I just want to know, man. These are good questions. I mean, yeah, all right, so Jalen Ramsey, Shire Alexander. These are good. Xavier Howard. That was DK Metcalf giving his top three cornerbacks, giving some love to Jair Alexander. It's just a fun audio clip to play, but it, it I really do like stuff like that. Because as you know, I'm I'm always concerned about flukes. You know, fluke seasons or fluke this or that, but it it's it's nice to hear when you talk to a wide receiver and be like, who gives you the most trouble? Who just annoys you to no end? Like, dude, I cannot get away from this guy. For him to say, Jair Alexander. Because I think I, I just feel like it's hard. And I know it's happened. We've seen corners have good years and fall off or whatever. But it just seems hard to flukishly be good at corner as opposed to like edge rusher, right? Because, again, it's one of those negative as opposed to positive positions. Corners have to be good all the time. In order to be good at corner, you can't fail like ever. In order to be good as an edge rusher, and this isn't necessarily true, but to be praised, and to, for example, Robert Quinn, you just have to win once. And granted, corners, you know, as far as like picks or anything, that that's kind of similar to sacks, but it really is about being good at football. If you have a pick but give up 
150 yards and three touchdowns, you had a garbage day. If you're an edge rusher and you had a two sack game, everybody's going to say you had a great day, great day. And there's almost no chance, no matter what you do otherwise, that anyone's going to say anything. You could have been terrible in your other 55 snaps. Nobody would know. So I don't know. It was good to hear. I think there have been times when corners are presumed to be real good and didn't really get a lot of praise, depending on you know the types of corners they are. For example, there may be a corner somewhere out in Dallas that had a bunch of picks. How many wide receivers do you really think are going to say he is one of the toughest to go up against? I mean, if he if he baited the quarterback and jumps the route, that's not really as much on the wide receiver. The, the wide receiver is concerned with my ability to, to get away from you. And people didn't really have a hard time getting away from him, from Diggs. That's who I'm referring to if you don't know. They got away from him fine. He just jumped a lot of routes and got a lot of picks. So I don't believe, I could be wrong, I don't believe a lot of wide receivers are going to say he's one of the best. Anyways, moving on with a little bit of Packers news here. We got some very positive news regarding tight end Robert Tunyon. Um, apparently, he made an appearance on tight end U, whatever that is, and um, people are assuming he's great now. And the word on the street is he will be available starting week one. I don't know exactly how solid that is, but I'm going to run with it because that's pretty awesome. And it kind of puts Tunyon a little bit into the equation that maybe I personally haven't put him in and... and probably should when we talk about Aaron Rodgers targets and you know as I'm sitting here thinking about it the Packers haven't really had that real dynamic freakish tight end type of guy and I'm, I'm not saying tight end uh, Tunyon is or isn't that guy necessarily but part of that really just has to do with step one is your ability and then step two is just usage how often are you the primary target or how how much does the offense lean on you and then how much does a quarterback want to go your direction so Tunyon may quote-unquote explode as a tight end largely just because it makes sense when you look at all the players that are on this team and say where does the offense want to go tight end make Tunyon I keep saying tight end tight end Tunyon makes a ton of sense Aaron Rodgers loves the guy he's fast he's reliable he's got good hands he understands the offense. He has great rapport with Aaron Rodgers. He actually might be the only guy on this team that checks every single box. With Lazard and Cobb, the issue is their ability. There's a ceiling there. Potentially, right? I've already said Lazard could be Robert Brooks or whatever, you know, all that stuff. But the, the issue with Lazard, presumably, is his ability. Randall Cobb, at this stage of his career, hasn't really been a super great dynamic threat in a very long time. So we're unsure. All the rookies, the issue is obviously understanding of the offense and rapport with Aaron Rodgers. Amari is kind of hovering in a weird spot, but there's a good chance that the understanding with the offense is not fully where it needs to be. Clearly, his rapport with Rodgers isn't where it needs to be, and there's still a question, obviously, about his ability. Mercedes Lewis is great, but there's an ability issue when you're talking about him as a receiver. DeGuara, we haven't seen reach that that um, level. Plus, Tunyon is that guy. He is the receiving tight end. So he has the ability, I believe, right? The athleticism and all that is there. He has the understanding of the offense. He has the rapport with Rodgers. And I think with this offense, in terms of would Matt LaFleur want to lean heavily on a guy like Robert Tunyon, I think the answer is absolutely yes. You look at the San Francisco 49ers and George Kittle, of course. So I, I've always been very let's pump the brake on brakes on Robert Tunyon just because he has never really been as good as the fans have hyped him up to be but that's not really what we're talking about here we're talking about going forward is it possible that Robert Tunyon is an absolute star more so based on the situation than anything else I think you know if Devontae was still here and everything was more or less the same I I wouldn't be expecting any kind of massive breakout but in this current situation I think it makes a lot of sense so we'll see how it goes um it's kind of a, a thing I hadn't really fully thought about before but um I, I would buy low on, on Tunyon at this point. Uh, moving on from that, there is an article written by Bill Huber about um, Rashawn Gary that I wanted to cover because I thought there were a lot of really good insights in here. Um, it's, it's, it's more of what we know, but that's exactly what it is. It's more of what we know. What we know about Rashawn Gary is that he is relentless. He doesn't quit. He won't stop. He's tenacious, hardworking, all that stuff. And so the article just kind of delves deeper into that. How hard, why so hard, all that stuff. Kind of picking up a little bit further down the article. 
says, while many of the players in the locker room during the final week of OTAs said that they take a week or so to catch their breath before driving into preparation for training camp and the grueling regular season that's to come, Gary didn't have a week to waste. Quote, oh no, I'm back to work. Whenever I leave here Thursday, I'll be back to work on Monday. So just pushing myself to become the better player. I need to know, I need and know I can be and be a good player for this team and be the player that can get us over the hump, go to the Super Bowl. When asked about being a star, he says, I want to be the best at my position. When you say things like that, that's where I want to be. It's to be at the top of the categories and things. But my number one thing is to bring a ring back. So I'm really not into all that, how people are looking at me. I'm into whatever I've got to do to get this team so we can bring a ring back. The other thing about Rashawn is when he says stuff like that, I tend to believe him. You know, the, the, the first question when somebody would say something like this is, 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 is that a legit answer or are you just trying to trying to politic this thing. I, I don't think he would care enough about that. Beyond that, again, when he got drafted, that was the thing I, I said about him that I liked. I've said a thousand times, there was that interview he did where he talked about missing that, that rivalry game and how much it, it impacted him and, and, you know, how much he wanted to be out there with his brothers and all that stuff. This stuff, he's he's loyal. And that was what I said is when he comes here, he will be loyal to the Green Bay Packers. He will be loyal to the team that brought him in. He will be loyal to his teammates. So when he says that he wants to do this more so for the team than for himself, he wants Green Bay to be a championship team again. I believe that because I believed that when we drafted him. I more or less expected this kind of attitude, which is a big part of the reason I'm sure that they, that he got drafted by the Packers in the first place. His attitude isn't just one of, of hard work and diligence, but it's his loyalty. He's also got serious leadership mentality. You want to say if you talk about wanting to be great or wanting to be the best, there's certain things you got to do. It's a lifestyle. You can't just say, oh, I want to be good and then don't put in the work. That's why hard work pays off and I put in the work. But um, continuing on with loyalty, the the final part of this, which I thought was really cool, um, it says Gary's work ethic starts at home with his mom, Jennifer, and his sister, Nafisa, who is 10 years older than Gary. When he was the top recruit in the nation coming out of Plainfield, New Jersey, Gary got his first tattoo. It was his mom's name in cursive on his left arm. The faces of his mom and sister are also on Gary's left arm, as is the phrase, my sister's keeper. Again, you can just feel that loyalty. This is my family. It's the only thing that matters, and I won't stop working to provide for them. He goes on to say, I come from a single-parent home. My mom and sister, they both raised me. Seeing my mom work multiple jobs, seeing my sister work multiple jobs to feed me, I'm just so thankful the organization gave me a chance because all I wanted to do was provide for them. I got that opportunity, that chance. That's what I wanted. So, you know, when you see the workout videos, there's some question about, you know, is it, is it are they putting on a show? Obviously, he's doing the work, but the, the video is, it's, it's 30 seconds long. You know, big deal. How much time did he spend at the buffet? How much time did he spend at the pool? How much time does he spend sucking down margaritas? I just don't see that with Rashawn. There may come a time, I don't know, but but right now there isn't. And, and it's a big part of the reason why drafting character matters so much. And Rashawn, and, and I think it's true with Trayvon Walker too, when I saw he was a similar type of guy, very disciplined, very hardworking. I, I, I think he probably is worth where he was drafted. It's super high risk because he's very raw like Rashawn. But the question is, does he have the character to put in the work to take those athletic traits and become great? Because that's what's needed. You you need a psychopath like Rashawn Gary to say, right now you are raw talent, but you don't know how to play football. And it's evident in your stats. So you need to put in a lot of work so that we can get all this raw potential out. And he is, he's doing that. And it's the reason why there's every reason to believe that as good as he already is, he's going to get better. And I, I hate being that level of optimistic because it just feels fake. But all I'm doing is, is looking at the best available information and trying to draw conclusions from it. And when you look at how unbelievably psychotically talented he is, I mean, again, they just said number one in the entire nation based on how talented he is, how freakish he is. We know his ceiling is much higher. And if he really is putting in this work, there's no reason to believe he isn't going to get better. As constantly paranoid about regression as I am, it makes more sense to me that Rashawn Gary gets even better and pushes his way toward number one pass rusher than it does that he regresses. Anything's possible, but when you're looking at best available information, the best conclusions you can draw from the information, it, it seems to me he's he's going to be moving up. Anyways, one final thing I wanted to look at, uh, PFF did an article a couple days ago looking at Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, uh, well... 
says, can Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers win a Super Bowl with this receiving core? And it's not so much the content of the question that's interesting, but they did really do a pretty good deep dive into these guys, and there's some pretty good tidbits that I wanted to pass along. There's some stuff in here that's negative, some stuff in here that's positive, and some stuff that's just, you know, interesting information. But I just want to kind of cover this a little bit. Kind of went over the history as far as Aaron Rodgers. He's always had that elite target, right? Before Adams, it was Jordy. Before Jordy, it was blah, 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 right? All the way back. And and mentioning that there was a lot of overlap, so times he'd have multiple dominant wide receivers. But then he goes over the list and says, Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. The last 1,000-yard receiving season any of these veterans had was 2015, the same year any of them cleared even 2.0 yards per route run. Adams hit that mark each of his past four seasons and is at 1.98 for his entire career. He does go on to say, and I've kind of touched on this a little bit, but the stats here are pretty staggering. It says, there have been glimpses without Adams. Rodgers defaults to Lazard as his primary target. In a very small sample size of snaps with Adams off the field, Lazard's target rate is over 20% of his routes, and his yards per route run is at 2.86, figures Adams would be proud of. The problem is that Lazard's skill set isn't conductive, conducive, makes more sense, to sustaining that production. At 6'5", 227 pounds, he's a huge target, but he measures in below the 50th percentile in the 40-yard dash, 10-yard split, short short, blah, blah, blah. Now, I've, I've gone over some of the numbers, Lazard without Adams, and it, it is really staggering. And again, the the assumption is, and I, I just did it a few minutes ago talking about Tunyon, and you know I'm not so sure about Lazard and all that stuff, but the assumption tends to be because it hasn't happened in the past, it won't happen in the future. And again, that's the whole reason I did the whole Robert Brooks thing and talked about a bunch of other guys. All these guys didn't do it until they did it. I don't even remember all the different names that I went through, but there were multiple guys that had, you know, first year nothing, second year nothing, third year nothing, and then all of a sudden there's an injury or something happens and they got to step up and just boom, they explode. And again, like I said about not just Brooks, but Freeman and also Tunyon, it's less about ability and more about necessity. If Tunyon has a great year, it's not because Tunyon just blew up, it's going to be because of necessity. If Lazard blows up, it'll be out of necessity, just like it was in those limited sample sets. Let's read that again. In a very small sample size with Adams off the field, Lazard's target rate is over 20% of his routes, and his yards per route run is 2.86. That is so far beyond what Lazard does. Did he just become a freak suddenly and then forgot how when Adams came back? No, it's not about talent necessarily. I mean, there is a ceiling. I couldn't go out there and do that, right? So so obviously there is a talent... Um, minimum talent requirement but the fact that we've already seen it right the fact that Adams left now what Al Nazar becomes just this monster of a receiver um, tells you something now you know again can he do that for an entire season you know if, if you try to lean on him too hard or team's going to start to say okay we got to focus on Lazard and then they take him away I don't know any of that maybe maybe not I don't know but in that game they couldn't stop him Again, in the negative, and this is just their speculation, it says Lazard may start the season as Rodgers' favorite target, but if things stay that way over the course of the season, the offense is in trouble. And again, that's based on the assumption that he's too big and slow. And so this, the offense is going to struggle if Lazard stays the top target, and maybe that's the case. But again, I, I look back at guys like Tunyon, and I can't help but think that we have at least two guys that are going to be really reliable targets. On top of you're going to have a little bit of Randall over here, right? He, he's a third down monster, as we've already talked about. So we know that. We might have a little bit of Amari, a little bit of Watson, a little bit of Watkins, a little bit of Dobbs. I don't know. But I still think it's going to be an offense that's going to be too hard to completely take everything away. Goes on to kind of heap praise on Watkins and say that he's probably the most likely to be that number one X receiver. The issue is injuries, but obviously that's that's an issue no matter what, right? So the point is, if we assume he's not injured... PFF seems to lean in that direction. It says he has the most natural X receiver number one skill set on the roster. Goes on and on about his injuries. But then it says Watkins has shown over the years he's still capable of big games, typically when defenses have their attention on a more pressing concern and leave him against favorable looks. Talks about Cobb, basically says he's not the same guy anymore. And so the, the point of their conclusion is that no, those guys can't do it, right? Um, Lazard had was good when Liz, when. Adams left, but he can't do that forever, and he just he's not good enough. Watkins is too injured and just isn't good enough. Cobb isn't good enough. And then it goes on to say, the hope for this group comes in the rookies. Even if Rodgers is developing an instant rapport with them, is perhaps the least likely of his potential options. So they, they even acknowledge the reality that Rodgers doesn't 
typically lean on guys that don't know what they're doing. But one of the things it does is it gives a route tree. And I don't, you know, want to just kind of read all this stuff because it's going to be hard to, you know, it's better to look at than to have it read to you. And of course the dog's barking, so you're going to hear that in the background. Sorry. Family woke up. It's pandemonium. I should have had this up, this done like 10 minutes ago. I'm, I'm slacking. But anyways, what, what it kind of highlights is that Romeo Dobbs has, first of all, a little bit more of a versatile route tree. And the other thing that definitely stood out to me was the go routes. Um, and obviously a lot of this has to do with usage and style of offense and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the assumption, or I guess the larger narratives, is that um, Romeo Dobbs is more of the complete, you know, route runner. He's more of the NFL-ready, kind of do-it-all. And that, that's where the optimism comes from. You know, he's the ready-to-go receiver. Christian Watson is the just-a-go-route guy. At least for now, right? I mean, we could use him on end of rounds and a couple things here and there, but he has to be developed as a pure uh, or more well-rounded guy. But um, if you look at the usage that they had, Christian Watson, 14.5% of his routes were go routes. 27.4% of Romeo Dobbs' routes were um, go routes. It's it's his number one route was a go route. And again, a lot of that is going to come down to uh, usage and, and the way that they used each guy. If, if Christian Watson had played where Romeo Dobbs played, he might have seen 30% go routes. Who knows? But that definitely stood out to me. And in fact, the number one route for Christian Watson was a hitch, which I'm really bad with routes. And, and you know, I know the basics and stuff, but the, the nuances of whether you go, you know, toward the sideline or away from the sideline. Um, a hitch is what I would call a curl, pr- presumably incorrectly, but it's just you, you run forward and then you come back toward the quarterback. If you go away from the quarterback, that is a comeback. But that's what he ran primarily. You run up and then you come back real quick. After that was go route. After that was a post route. And then it was just kind of a little bit here and there, just dribs and drabs. Um, He had zero routes that were slant routes, zero routes that were corner routes, which, you know, again, when you talk about a less than, I'm watching my daughter, if you can hear all that in the background. It's my first time doing the podcast um, and watching children. So just just trying to finish. But again, that just kind of goes to the incomplete route tree as well as like 1% flat, 1% cross route, crossing route. You know, he, he had his primary ones, and that was about it. Uh, Romeo, he had a couple that he didn't do very often. But again, 27% go route. Every single one of these routes he did at least once. And he had a bunch over, you know, 5%. 11% crossing route, 8% slant route, 15% hitch route, 10% in route, 12% post route. So, you know, again, kind of leaning more on the Dobbs thing, which I've, I've I don't want to say I've dismissed, but I'm just not as much on that train, just just for a lot of reasons, you know, general hype toward a guy that's unproven, mid-round player, doesn't know the offense, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the points that people make in his favor do make sense. He's the more NFL-ready, he's got more route experience, but also the fact that he can kind of be that deep threat, I mean, which is something the Packers really want, and we assume that if the Packers want that, they have to rely on Christian Watson, and I think they will. I think they want to be able to rely on him in that capacity. But the fact is, if they wanted to, I think, you know, depending on Dobbs' ability and his how quickly he can get up to speed on things, you might have a guy that can kind of do all the things that you want and still be able to stress the defense down the field. Not to the extent that Christian Watson can, but it's not as though, you know, he's he's like a Randall Cobb, although Cobb is fast, but the point is he's not just a guy that's going to run intermediate routes, or Lazard for that matter, you know, a guy that's more or less going to run kind of shorter routes, and you might see him once in a while down on a deep route, but that's not really his thing. I don't think he's that guy couple other interesting little tidbits. I mean, it kind of goes on to to pick apart Christian Watson um, and then moves on to this little thing. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph. It says, one of the key elements of Rodgers' game is preying on single coverage. When he reads defenses, if he can identify his favorite target in single coverage, it's virtually an automatic pass. Over the past three years, no quarterback has earned a higher PFF grade when targeting receivers in single coverage than Rodgers. And a lot of that success relies on on the receiver being on the same page, knowing when to expect back shoulder ball location and being able to naturally adjust to it. So, Again, kind of just leaning more in favor of probably not going to be a rookie, you know. Rodgers leans on it. He loves it. He relies on it. Always has. You know, he had that with Jordy, and then he had it with Devontae. He's going to have to go a different direction, so maybe that could be an argument in favor of the rookies. He doesn't have that anymore, so now what do you do? Well, now that you can't just force feed a guy that knows everything, you have to spread it out, making it more likely that you're going to go toward a rookie, because why not? We're not just trying to work with mind melds now. 
we're relying on the scheme to, to utilize the talents that these guys have. Yes, that's Loki. But if he can get that, I think he's going to want that. And, and, and again, I think he does kind of have that, right? I think he's a guy that he's already said he, he, he wants guys that know what they're doing. So I, I think that's in his DNA. I don't think there's ever going to be the ability to just let go of that. As long as we have guys like Tunyon and Cobb and Lazard, he's going to lean on guys that he knows that know him, that have this kind of, even if it's not as good of a mind meld as he had with, with Adams, um, he's still going to try to lean on that is my assumption. But anyways, it then kind of goes on to, uh, like I said, they picked apart Watson, then moved on to that paragraph. And then they kind of heap some praise on, on Dobbs here. It says, Watkins has work to do to get that kind of on that kind of page with Rodgers, and that might open up early opportunities for Romeo Dobbs, the team's fourth-round draft pick. Dobbs ran a far more diverse route tree than Watson and didn't deal with drop issues. He doesn't fight the football and may have an early advantage in earning the confidence of his quarterback. At six foot two and over 200 pounds, Dobbs has an impressive physical makeup in his own right, though he can't match Watson's straight-line speed. And then it kind of goes on to say, well, you know, they don't have wide receivers, so maybe they'll lean on tight ends, although they don't really have tight ends. The only real weapon they have is Aaron Aaron Jones, who's a running back, and that sucks if your running back is your best receiver. So that's kind of their overall conclusion. They even went so far as to talk about the last time you had a group this bad was 2015, and that was Rogers' worst year ever, and the team was garbage and all that kind of stuff. Fine. Fair enough. I'm more just kind of interested in the question of how are they going to try to structure this thing? Because you kind of got to pick a direction and it, it, that can evolve and morph and, and change over time, depending on Rogers comfort level and all that. But I am curious as of today, what is the plan for this offense? Because Rogers made a comment that, you know, 80% of the plays were designed to go to Adams previously, which you want more muffins. Okay. That is special guest Brinley Schlipp be my co-host for the day. She believes that um, mini muffins will be the number one wide receiver. Anyways, which if you think about it, the, the, that fact means that it wasn't just Aaron Rodgers force-feeding Devontae. That was the plan going in. Oh, my goodness. And so I, I guess I would just love to be, you know, in the meeting room for a second just to kind of see what, what, what is the design, you know. And, and presumably maybe that hasn't fully taken shape, but there, there's got to be some general thought of what the offense is going to look like. Are, are we leaning on the running backs more in terms of, I mean, the answer to a lot of these questions is probably yes. You know, if you take that 80% for Adams, it's not as though you just shift 80% somewhere else to, to one person. You're probably splitting it up. But what does that look like? Are we taking 20% of that and giving it to Jones and Dylan and adding that to their workload? Are we adding it to Lazard? Are we adding it to Cobb? And to what proportions? What is, you know, the, the entire structure of the offense can change. And I'm, I'm just really interested to see what that looks like. And I kind of wonder if that's going to be more of, of like a 49ers offense. I don't know. It, it's just interesting to me, but I'm, I'm not approaching this with necessarily with panic. I, I'm going to give them the opportunity. And, th- and there's a lot of reasons for optimism, right? Again, Tunyon, Lazard, Cobb, all these things on top of the rookies. You know, you can have doubts about each one of them for different reasons, but there's also optimism for each of these guys for different reasons. And it's really just a matter of Matt LaFleur and the offensive coordinator and, and all these coaches coming together and, and building a plan to optimize the guys we have. And we have good guys, period. No, it's not the number one group. And no, it's not as good without Devontae, clearly. But we have got some weapons. We have reason to believe Lazard can be that guy, right? Despite all of the, the negatives. I mean, the fact of the matter is, all the stuff that people are saying about Lazard is the reason that he went undrafted. But it doesn't explain the level that he's playing to right now. I mean, think about it. Based on everything everyone's saying about Lazard and why he can't be the guy is the reason why he didn't get drafted. It's the reason why he shouldn't be the guy that he is right now. He shouldn't be what he is, but he is. So who's to say he can't take one more step and be a little bit better, a little bit more? And again, same with Tunyon. We've seen the upside, but it's hard to be George Kittle when the offense is built around 80% of it running through Devontae Adams. Again, it's, it's not just about how good or bad you are. It's about your usage and your, and your utilization. And, and, you know, maybe that's kind of a larger point that I completely missed. Over the years, I've always talked about, you know, it's nice to have guys that can blow up like once in a while. MVS would have one or two big games. Tunyon would have one or two big games. Lazard would have, you know, maybe, th- okay, three or four big games. I'm actually surprised how quiet she's being. But it's, it's hard to be 
consistently dominant as a tight end, wide receiver, whatever, when everything runs through Devontae. And as long as he's there, how are you going to get multiple, you know, it doesn't have to be 100-yard games, but whatever, 60 yards and a touchdown, 70, 80, or, or you know, 100-yard game, how many can you get? We've gone over the stats and how incredible Devontae is just, just in volume statistics, you know, number of receptions, number of targets, number of games with multiple targets, number, just the absolute, I mean, we're, we're talking not just Packers receivers, we're talking about NFL history. It, it's impossible for anybody else on this team to thrive as a receiver or to even, you know, running backs. We wonder why, you know, Aaron Jones doesn't get more usage as a runner or as a receiver and A.J. Dillon and all that. It's because Devontae, 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 Devontae. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. When you got a guy that's good, you use him. But the point is, it's impossible, impossible mathematically to have 80, and I know it's not actually 80%, some of the times it's designed for Devontae, but he's triple covered, so we go somewhere else, but even that is a negative. How beneficial is it to Lazard if you're the number two target, as opposed to let's build this route around Lazard being open? You know what I mean? And and if it's not just Lazard, I mean, the, the, benef- the other extra added benefit is, you know, if we, if we say let's let 80% of this offense run through Alan Lazard, they're going to shut down Lazard. But if you just have a play designed to get somebody open and the defense doesn't know who that somebody's going to be, that's massively beneficial. Because now you just got a pile of guys that are just sitting there and nobody knows what who, who's going to be the guy. When Devontae's there, you know Devontae's the guy. But to be Alan Lazard and to have, let, let's say, instead of 5% of the routes designed for you, it's 20%. And they never know when that's coming. And it's it's very simple read for Aaron Rodgers to look and say... Are you kidding me? Did you just burp on my podcast? <laughs> yeah, okay. And it's easy for Rodgers, let's say this is designed for Lazard, to identify the coverage and say, you know what, not a good idea, let's go over here. And now we have a route designed for Cobb, a route designed for Watson. And make them suffer, right? If, if you got a safety dropping down to help out with Lazard, and we have Christian Watson on the other side, very simple call, send him. Because at the very least, no matter no matter the outcome of that play, whether it was completed or not, Watson screaming down the field is going to cause panic. And all you're looking for on the outcome of this play is for the defensive coordinator to look at that and go, all right, we're not doing that anymore. So anyways, as you can tell, I should probably get going. So I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Brindley, you want to say bye-bye? Say bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.